This is episode number 143 of the Rising Man podcast with Kevin Wilkinson. Your life is only limited by your willingness to give yourself what you truly desire. Welcome back, Rising Man family, and thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jedi Azuma, and I am the host and creator of the Rising Man podcast here, as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. Our mission is simple. We are out to initiate an entire generation of men into leadership and powerful purpose. That's what we're doing. That's what we're up to. We want to make sure that these next 700 generations have a culture of men and masculinity that will serve them, that will support them, that will be the example of men that we need to carry on into the future, to solve all of these problems that we're facing as humanity. And we believe that the only way to get there is by uniting together as brothers, together as family, together as men who are willing to take off the armor, put it down, to circle up around the fire and be honest about our experiences share what it is that we're going through deep down underneath the surface the things that we often don't reveal to anybody else you see the strength of a man lies in his ability to reveal his truest self to the outside world and the safest place to do that is in a circle with other men so if all you've been doing is listening to the podcast then get yourself dialed in with the rising man movement go to risingman.org Look into our virtual men's fire circles. You can jump into Inferno, our 12-week program where you get to be on a men's team with me and a couple of our other facilitators for 12 weeks. Or you can join us for a four-day vision fast out in the desert, out somewhere in the wilderness to clarify your purpose and what you're here to do in your life. Whatever that is, we got something for you, something to support you becoming the man that you've always wanted to be. So go check it out at risingman.org right now. We are currently putting together our Spring Compass crew. I've already got a few guys signed up and those spots are going to fill up fast. So if that's something that you've been considering, get yourself signed up today. All right. My guest for today is Kevin Wilkinson. Kevin is a hypnotherapist, coach, spiritual practitioner, and entrepreneur. He's passionate about creating life by design and not by default, moving beyond the status quo into alignment and purpose. Joining me from all the way across the pond in this episode, Kevin and I dropped into what it looks like to create a life by design. We discussed falling into victimhood and feeling bad about our life circumstances and why we believe that every single human, no matter his or her situation, is never truly stuck. We revisited failure and why it's so critical for us to become friendly with failure at a young age instead of avoiding it. Kevin spoke about intuition and following your heart to make decisions in life. And we also discussed the experience of being raised in a strict household and how our upbringing shapes us without defining who we are destined to be this and so much more but without further ado kevin wilkinson all right Rising Man fam, I've got another brother joining our podcast today, bringing in his energy all the way live from outside of London in the UK, Kevin Wilkinson, man. How you doing, bro? I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Thank you for being on here at the end of your day, at the end of your week. We're going to squeeze every last bit of juice out of the berry. (laughs) (laughs) I've saved some. I've saved some. So it's all good. Always a little left, right? Always a little more in the tank. 
Well, I appreciate you coming on here, man. And one of the things that you wrote to me about was creating life by design. And that's, that's where I want to start off the conversation today, but not before you answer a really important contextual question. And that is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Oh, oh, wow. Powerful, powerful question. Uh, intention, I would say, and that came through just now. Purpose. I think the difference between a boy and a man is, for me, it's nice to always have that boy, the childlike energy in you, the boy-like energy in you, but the man is the one that is, has that kind of the, the, the fearless element in him more. Yeah, I suppose the maturity comes with knowing that yeah, the experience, the experience of your failures, knowing that you failed and then, Oh, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I can, I can go again. More so than that, I can actually create and understand that this is part of the cycle of life. It's not gonna, it's not gonna end me. This is a temporary crisis. I can, I'm here to go through. Uniquely here for me to, to do. The boy doesn't recognize that at first. It's you know, it can, it can end him. But um, tell me how a boy interprets crisis, because that's a really, it's a really interesting word. I don't think I've heard any guys use that on here before. The boy interprets crisis like it's the end of the world, like life is over. And there is a so much emphasis on expectation that anything that comes off of that plan is really difficult to, to manage. Awesome. Well, I love that. And I'm going to walk us towards this topic of creating life by design by asking you some questions. So I know before we started recording, you told me that your history, your lineage goes back to Barbados. You were raised in Germany because your, your father was in the services and now you live in the UK. So it's a different experience of growing up than I had. And I think a lot of folks out there have had. What are the things that you've had to unlearn about manhood and masculinity in order to be the man you are today based on where you grew up? Sure. Okay. Well, Caribbean parents by um, definition are quite strict, quite harsh in my family in particular, but I see that in a lot there, it can be almost like a negative environment, especially for the males. There's things never seem to be good enough. And talking from my, my unique experience, and I'm wondering, there's probably something to do with the lineage of, you know, when I think about the lineage and what my, you know, I, I've done so much work on myself. I can see it in my dad. I can see it in my grandfather. And it's funny when I look at them and I look at my uncles, because my dad is one of eight boys, super high achievers, but not completely happy within themselves. And of course, I'm of, I'm of a different era. So maybe I'm super fortunate to be able to, you know, look at my mental health for, for one. And it's not always about just surviving and getting the best job, but these guys are massively, massive overachievers and yet, yet miserable and yet uber critical. I think that comes down from the harshness of maybe like the slavery days or something like that. There's definitely something that comes through that ancestral line. I've definitely experienced it and I know I see it in my other friends and whatever from around my generation of, you know, from that sort of the Caribbean roots or wherever there's been sort of slavery. So, yeah, I, I recognize that a lot. Growing up in the military, again, there's a hard discipline. So we went to a, like a, a private school within the military system. And yeah, it was tough. It's funny because that, that kind of that discipline filters down. But at the same time, you're a child, right? So it's difficult to sort of to cope with. So it can be. It can be. Also, there's a lot of moving. So you're transient quite a lot. So you, you know, two or three years and you're off. 
So making friends and ground, grounding roots could be, uh, I found quite difficult. I find it difficult for any military children seem to be more developed. You know, because my a lot of my family are military as well, so they seem to be more developed at a younger age. Probably for that reason, you know, they just there can be some bullying and jostling around, jostling for position and jostling for rank. But you don't even realise that's what's going on. Oh, my dad's a my dad's a captain. Well, your dad's only a sergeant, so that means that you know I'm of a better rank than you. I'm like, what, dude? You're six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how does that? You know, and that's how it translates. So the, the culture, the military culture, is very unique uh, in and of itself. So that journey has been um, for me. It was one of my greatest teachings, retrospectively. Yeah, beautiful yeah. man. And so I could definitely appreciate what it must be like to grow up in a military household. And to have that background, it's I've known guys and gals who've grown up in a mil- with a military background. And there is that element of you seem a lot more mature in terms of we could throw you out in the world and you can handle yourself better than the average kid. And there also seems like there's a part of the emotion or tapping into who you really are and how you express what's going on internally that's harder for those types of folks. So would you say you experienced some of that, too? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, we were, as far as tapping into our emotions, you don't show it. You don't show, you know, you're seen, of course, because you're seen as weak. Yeah, that, that was a really, a really tough one, especially because I was, my brother, not so much, I have a younger brother. I would say he's a harder personality than me. But for me, I was, you know, quite a sensitive kid. So to show emotion, it was, it felt natural to me to do that. But it was almost like it was frowned upon. Even in peer groups and, you know, even at that sort of young age, it was, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's a kind of a fate worse than death to show weakness. Totally, totally. And I think that's one of the narratives that we see across the vast spectrum of what we've been told to believe about manhood and masculinity is that there's that emotional piece that doesn't fit into that spectrum. And what I'm coming to understand is that we have to make this distinction between man and woman, masculine and feminine, maleness and femaleness, because they're all not the same thing. And when I was growing up, it always was that way. It was like a a split, a bifurcation into this category or this category. And high emphasis on masculinity has shifted men into an imbalanced place and similar to women or females and anyone in between, whatever they consider themselves to be gender wise. Right. And so this conversation about masculinity being devoid of emotions and maybe turning down the dial on that feminine part that's inside of us. How did you find a way to dial that back up or bring more of that sensitivity into your life in spite of what you were taught growing up? Sure. I mean, to be fair, even through my teenage years, I would still suppress it, even though you could quite see that I was visibly upset or struggling with something. But And it was, it was internalized a lot. So that would classic thing for me and for many men as well is that, that you go through the, the, the numbing or the avoiding or the distraction, you know, wherever you're going to turn to sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever the thing else, it just does really try and oh, I don't want to deal with that. And it's, it's interesting because I can remember there was a long time, maybe probably into my mid twenties that I was like, I love time by myself, but equally I couldn't sit there by myself and just be by myself, if I mean, what I have to do something, I don't, you know, but now it just, I really relish those times. So to start dialing it back up for me, I noticed a pattern in my relationships. I was drawn to chaos and I know, hang on a minute, this is not every single girl can be this way. There must be, 
<laughs> there must be some. I wonder what this common denominator is. You know? There you go. <laughs> right. So it took me in the relational space. It took me failing a few times at that to recognize. Uh, hang on a minute. There's the stuff I'm not doing. And again, uh, it, it was me being overcritical. It was me being cold as well. There's almost like this not trusting element. And I could hide it a lot because I did a lot of martial arts as well. Funny, I went into, I studied karate for 12, 13 years and there's the style and my, even my, the choice of my instructor replicated that of my father. Again, all retrospective, but like, it's incredible what you're, you can do, what you do subconsciously. So I was setting up structures that looked familiar to what I'd already known, essentially. You know, so, and which was, okay, yeah, the feminine's there. She's there. That's great. So we just, no, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I just want to go and play football or do my martial arts and come back and then we'll do something and whatever. And I, well, it's almost like they were a hindrance. I could feel it in myself, you know, even now to a degree, sometimes when I've had that awkward conversation, the nervous system in me, I'm like, ah, like I'm un literally under attack. To unpick all that stuff is painful, slow, yet one of the most valuable things I've ever done and continue to do. Sure. Sure. And I think about it for myself that that shift for me really landed seven layers deep when I was in a space witnessing other men sharing their emotions allowing themselves to be seen in that space and that the rest of the guys felt it too that and there's there's some guys who resisted it because we all have that hardened armor that conditioning that so many of us were raised with but to see that a guy could go to that space that we all feel internally and then it would inspire or evoke the same sensitivities and emotions from other men and that from that place we can move forward that there's not a repellent that happens that pushes guys away that there's actually more of a leaning in more solidarity more closeness more trust it was something i had never witnessed before when i first experienced that and for me that was in my early to mid-20s it completely blew my mind that men could do this because i grew up in a household where my dad he would tell us that he loved us, but he was, he's also very stoic. You know, I've only seen my dad up to this day. I've only seen him cry and really show emotions twice. And one of those times was when his father passed away. So I don't come from a background where presenting yourself that way is modeled. And I know that there's a lot of us out there. In fact, at this point, I think the conversation is becoming much more commonplace that as men, we are humans. So we experience emotions. There's no human on this planet that doesn't have them come up. It's what we do with them after. And so what do you think is the benefit of emotions? Because I know there's a lot of conversation about, well, if you're too emotional, then you can't be trusted and you never get anywhere. And I think there's some merit to that. But what is the benefit to it? What do you, how do you see it? I think it's got quite a cathartic experience and it needs to come somewhere because I come from a, I don't know, like a neurological background, but I've noticed that it still stays in the body, whereas the emotion releases attention from the body as well. So I think it's, a, it's really important because energy is always moving. So therefore, if it doesn't come out in a healthy, emotional way, this is where it can really go inwards. And we see this, you know, the toxic masculine label being thrown around. But And if the only emotion we've been taught as men is anger, you know, to be aggressive, then what's going to come out? What you might be witnessing, even though it's terrifying when you see a man in his rage, is a man in his pain, but it's how you weather that storm. So to, if you can get it out in a healthy way and be encouraged to, 
and feel safe enough to do that. I think that's the key as well, the safety. Yeah. And I think that piece you speak to is really important. And I've talked about it a lot too, because I've had experiences in my life where the message I was getting from my environment, the people around me, my parents, my siblings, my friends was that, whoa, that's big energy. We can't hold it. And I think that's the consequence for most kids growing up is that there's not a container, a safe container for them to express that. You can go to the store and you see a kid melting down and having a tantrum and just see that nine times out of 10, the parent is like freaking out too. Versus the parent who can shout out to all the parents because I'm a parent too. I know it's not easy to be with kids in that big energy, but that's really what's needed, right? It's like, hey, you can be in that energy. You can explore it. You can experience it. And there's love at the end of it for you. There's not rejection. There's not a put down. There's not someone telling you that you're not enough. You need to be more controlled with your emotions, right? Because I know that's the message that I got. And the other side of that is once we clear those emotions out of the way, for so many of us, it's that stored up anger, repressed frustration, rage. Once it's all cleared out, it actually provides this vessel of clarity because I don't know about you. The way I make the distinction between my masculine and my feminine is that my masculine executes the wisdom and insight of my feminine. All of my vision, all of my clarity around my purpose and what I'm compelled to do for my conscience comes from that feeling place. And that to me has never been masculine. That to me has always been kind of this watery, elemental, flowy part of my personality. My masculine is what executes it and brings it down to the earth. So all these guys who say, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I'm going in my life. I think there's some sort of connection there. Have you seen that as well? It's really interesting. Yeah, yes, that's a lovely way of looking at it because for sure the creative processes has the feminine energy around it. But when you don't know what that is, maybe it's because we've not, you know, communed uh, deep enough with our feminine aspects in order for that to happen. Because, you know, and like you're right, and sometimes it's the other way as well. So this is all creative and you want all the freedom, but there's no real execution. It's like, you know, the great ideas and great, oh, but, you know, and then there's a ton of procrastination. So that's the, it's the same thing. It's the, it's the opposite. It's the blend that is so sacred, but I, yeah, I love the one. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah. yeah. And now uh, here we go, right? Bringing it back to creating life by design. I feel like cr- that statement to create a life by design is the perfect blend of these two forces within ourselves. It, it's a hundred percent masculine. It's a hundred percent feminine. There's the intuitive creative side that has to inform the design because to me i think design i think blueprints i think perpendicular lines and math that's that's masculine baby and then but, (laughs) but the creative part that dreams that up the dreamer is more of that feminine so let's start narrowing it into creating a life by design when people ask you or they hear you say this and that's like whoa i didn't even know i could have that how do people gain access to that? It's funny because as over time, I've been doing a load of work in different coaching, different modalities. I came up with a model called QUEST, and um, it's an acronym, and the Q and U stands for the quantify and then understand. And that, essentially, that really means being honest with yourself, confession time, warts and all, getting the hard facts, the hard data, the, you know, the, accessing the feelings, the frustrations, the pain, the, everything. Nothing's left unchecked. And then... And only then can we go into the sort of the E and the S, which is the explore and structure. So this is the life by design part, right? So, okay, am I, can I explore this? Is this what I truly want or is this what society or my family actually want, first and foremost? And then how do we go about creating that thing and get, get into some depth and go into sort of some deep meditations and then access your higher self and get some free writing and all that kind of ethereal sort of woo-woo stuff, which is a super feminine. And then the S is the structure, yeah, or strategy. Again, the masculine, okay, there's 
you've got this thing that you say that you want now from that, that creative feminine process. The masculine process now is you create a structure that allows you to go towards where you're going. So essentially the, the structure part is normally, oh, there's a great teacher of mine and he used to say that it's the riverbed that dictates the flow of the water. You know, again, it's a perfect relationship between masculine and feminine, you know? So it just allows that thing to flow. Yeah, as such, a, I always use that analogy and the structure is no different. It could be accountability groups. It could be a certain thing, practices that you need to put in place, whatever those things are. And then you allow that to sort of flow through. And then the T is the transformation side of things and it also tension. So what you'll notice between the Q and the U and the E and the S is kind of, you could say the old self and the, the newer self or the, the higher self. But in between that, sometimes that will cause tension. And we can resolve our tension one or two ways normally, right? You imagine an elastic band in your hands, you know, with your either finger, you can re- resolve it in favor of your vision or your higher self or in favor of your old self or the ego, you know? Yeah, so uh, f- for me, that's the balance. And also observing where you are at any one time because am I taking this action out of ego or am I, again, am I taking this action from a, from a higher self to going towards where I, where I want to be? And that's the dance, you know? And, it does, and it's not making one, one right or one wrong, even if obviously there's a preference, but both are fine because of value in both of those things, you know? Especially when you fall off, you think, okay, why did I do that? Why did I fall off? How am I, you know? And what you'll find is you'll spend less and less time in the old self and more time in the new. I think most of us, Again, being masculine, you have to have an eye, you know, you have to be, your processes and everything else has to be steeped in the reality of things. This is the reality. This is the hard facts. This is what I need to do. However, that doesn't need to be your main chunk of focus. I think your focus should be more on your on your vision or the thing that you want to create and hang out there more. So most people do an 80-20 split or a 90-10 split in favor of the reality. But if you could turn that around and sustain that and hold it, because it takes some time because it's not new. It's kind of, you're shaking up your system, but you can hold that. And the longer you can hold it, then the more you'll see your results come to you quicker space. And it doesn't matter if it's healing or something that you want to get. It's the same thing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm putting myself into this quest process that you just unfolded, my history and how I got to be where I am now, because I definitely feel locked into my purpose. I feel purposeful and direction oriented and this blend of my creative and visionary side that's being channeled and carried through directing the river water and the riverbed through my masculine. And I remember that when I can go back in my mind to when I felt purposeless, when I felt like I had no clarity or direction on where I was heading in my life, I still didn't know who I was. And you could try and come up with something that is your quote unquote life purpose or where you're heading in your life. And I tried to do that. I tried to take some of these things that I had interest in and make that be the focus, but it never worked out. And what was missing was that first part, that deep inquiry and excavation of my soul, understanding who I am on an essential level. Because I think that that's what childhood is supposed to be about. But my view of it is that as children, right when that's starting to wake up, right when the imaginal world is starting to awaken in us and that feminine part of just seeing all possibilities and everything, right when that starts to wake up at around five years old, we get thrown into school and we start getting drilled with this. This is how you do math. This is the history. Facts, 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 facts. Do, 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 do. And then we get spit out of that container almost two decades later and have never really gotten to know who we are. We've acquired some skills that are useful in the world that we're in, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, to fit in, to be a cog in this in that system, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So I have a feeling that in most cases, this is something that we ought to inspire in our children as they're growing up and continuously inspire that imagination and possibility mindset while still giving them skills that are useful in life, right? Because we don't want to fall out of balance, like you said. And I think it's like the artist complex, the starving artist who is so capable of creating, but can't put any sort of structure to their life. And then it's just water that flows in all directions and doesn't actually get somewhere. I remember how it was for me. I needed to go somewhere where I didn't know anybody, where I didn't know anything about the place and see what was mirrored back and reflected to me. Because up until that point, all I had was my own idea of who I was and the story that was being repeated back to me by the people that I knew best. And it was very comfortable. It was very comfortable to live in that world in spite of how painful it was. Yeah, sure. Because it's familiar. Yeah, yeah. There's something you said just now about, you know, inspiring your children to do that. Because I work with young, young people, young boys in particular, between seven and 17. And we, some of them have issues engaging in school and other things. And we I hang out with them and I teach them how to box. And sometimes we'll sit and talk or we we'll go for a walk or, or whatever it is. But the medium and some just want to work out. And that's their space and time for them to get some of that energy out. I wanted to know because I don't have children, but how do you keep that alive in your children? He's, you were saying that your your young one's five today. So, uh, yeah. 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 He, uh, yeah. Shout out to Sitka. Happy birthday, buddy. You know, up until this point, he's also very advanced in his language. So he presents himself like he's a little bit older than he is, but he can't quite articulate his desires and his wants. You know, like simple things like I'm hungry, right? Or I want to leave. Simple things like that. But on a deeper level, he's not quite at that stage where he can say what really is driving him. My, my wife and I have to observe that. We've got to watch and see what is he inspired to create? And then how can we set up the environment around him for him to be choiceful? And I think that that's the piece that we will continue to do over time with him and with my daughter, who's 18 months old, is before they can articulate and express that for themselves, we have to perceive it and read it and give them opportunities and then it's like when you have a hypothesis and you put it out there and you test it and they're like, ah, they're not really into that. Let me try something else and then see where their creativity and their intuition guides and directs them instead of trying to corner them into something that we think will be useful and encouraging that over the course of their lives. I can imagine my son being 10, 13, 15 years old and both my wife and I are very committed to supporting our children, having the life that they feel called and compelled into because we believe that they're born into this life knowing what they're here to do. And we want to get out of the way of it, but create a safe container in which they can explore and run in whatever direction they need to. We just got to keep them alive until they can do that for themselves. <laughs> Especially with my little man, because he he's pretty wild. <laughs> just keep them alive. Show them love, acceptance, you know, a little yeah, bit yeah. of like discipline as needed to function in society with other people let them decide and have that choice because as great as my parents are and were when they were raising me I feel like they really zeroed in on just a part of who I was they really zeroed in on my academics I was really good in school because I could retain information and make connections between things but it was it, it felt like this big compared to what was actually there it was very masculine. There wasn't a lot of that imaginative, well, what do you want to create in the world? What do you want to see in your lifetime? Those are the kinds of questions that I believe we need to ask these young people over the course of their lives is, well, what do you want to see in the world? How do you want your life to look? Because 
I didn't even ask myself that question until I was already a father. <laughs> you know, I had ideas, but I didn't really honestly sit down and say, what do I want my life to look like right now? Forget the how, forget that, you know, limited mindset. What do I want it to look like? And that started changing everything. Mm, yeah. Well, that's beautiful, man. And what a time to be alive and be in that space where you get to see these young people coming through and being able to flourish because it feels like there's a definite shift. Whereas, because my saying, my parents are the same, this also comes, it's almost like a fear driven thing. Well, if you've got good education, that means you can get a good job. That means you're not going to starve to death. It was kind of that binary, you know, where I think it's so much more than that now. And like you say, it is, the world's definitely changing and there's, it, there needs to be that kind of that more collaboration and, you know, community type of thing. And that can only come about from an increase in emotional intelligence. And it's, it's interesting because I've always thought this, you know, why are these not taught in mainstream schools? You know, managing your money, emotional intelligence, regulating your emotions yourself and, you know, incorporating those of others as well. But yeah, just for me, that seems like it's a real, should be, you know, higher up on the list and also creativity. And because normally when there's cuts, that's the first thing to go. Yes. Yep. So I think that's a beautiful part of the conversation. I think ultimately that's where we're moving in the direction we're going towards with the next generation. Right. And I know that a lot of the guys and ladies who listen to this are in their mid twenties to mid thirties. For the most part, they're maybe asking themselves this question for the first time. Like I did, how do I create a life that I want? How do I utilize the experiences that I've had to create the life that I want and let go of all these other outside external messages and truths that aren't actually mine. Yeah, sure. So what do you, yeah. So what do you say to those folks? Okay. Well, for me, as basic as it sounds, but it's, it's not really that basic is something about aligning with your values, you know? And for me, it's not, I remember doing this exercise. Oh yeah, I've done values before. And, but they've, they change some, not all, but they can change over time, you know, especially when you're talking decades and when you're really in alignment with your values then you can, it's easy to have boundaries in and around, you know what to say no to. Because for me, a lot of the time, the stuff that gets in the way or from us achieving what it is we want is because we get distracted and we don't, we don't know how to say no to stuff. You know, it's about getting rid of clearing out that clutter. So there's a free, you know, almost like a free lane rather than having a load of debris on it. Because let's face it, there's a lot of options that we can take. But if we're super clear on our values and things are able to sort of come to you, so things that are in alignment with my values is going to be something that I'm more likely to you know, maintain and sustain, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I was just in this conversation with another man just two days ago. We were talking about the importance of values. And another word I throw around with that is standards. When you know, you know, we think about standards in relationship. How do you know what kind of partner you want for long-term partnership? You go out and you date and you learn what fits and what doesn't. And I feel like you have to do the same thing in life, especially before you get into any kind of long-term relationship. Going out into the world and almost dating the world and letting the world show you what matters to you. And the only way you do that is by testing it, by going out and having experiences that show you what you care about. What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to stand up for versus just what we're force-fed through our family? And it it's hard for me, especially in this position. I keep coming back to father because I think it's, I see my son playing outside right now. It just reminds me that I can't tell him who to be, how to be, why to be that way. I can model it and let him see what is present for me and how the result of being that way for me. I can encourage him to consider it and question it for himself. But at the end of the day, he has to make that decision. 
we all have to make that decision. And I think a lot of us don't start asking those questions and really testing them out until we're already across the line into adulthood. And we don't even know what we stand Mm. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about, and again, it's that creative side. There's something about accessing that daydreamer in us, which is, I know it's conditioned out of me at school for sure. As one of those people that would look up and for me, that's where I create. Actually, now I know that. But I remember what a teacher was saying to me, Wilkinson, get, put your head back in the book. There's nothing up there for you. There's, you know, there's nothing to see up there. And she couldn't be further from the truth. Everything for me was up there. Everything. I was, bringing, I was actually bringing my knowledge, my wisdom down. I think there's so much. I think kids are just, so, well, you'll know yourself. Children are some beautiful teachers. They kind of remind us a state of being that is closer to who we really are. Yeah. Yeah, they Mm. do. They definitely do, man. And I'm just really thinking about these, these future generations, you know, and thinking about how, how we can, cause yeah, I I didn't know that piece about you, about how much you work with, with boys. And it's a really important mission to take on a really important responsibility. I worked with young people ever since I was in pretty much a young person myself. Back when I was in college, I was volunteering with with young boys down at the community center and then in different capacities throughout my 20s and early 30s. And it's challenging to connect with children, especially children who have been thrust into the world without a sense of feeling safe. You know, I've worked with kids in, in South Central LA, and that's one of the most unsafe places in the United States for children to grow up. And there's so much armoring and density. There's so much density around these children. And I know that that's one microcosm, right? We, we see that around kids, but so many of us as adults are walking around in the world that way too. There's so much density around us that we can't access those experiences. You know, there's, there's a limitation in our emotional experiential vocabulary that prevents us from accessing all of that wisdom and information, all that stuff that was up in the sky that we were trying to tap into as kids, but then they, you know, they closed the skylight, right? <laughs> they put the roof over the top of our heads and said, no, everything you need is right here. Yeah. And that is so detrimental. Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. 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 So another piece I wanted to tap into your brain about was this idea of crisis. You know, that, that, that word is just so interesting. I'm wondering how you learn to incorporate or appreciate crisis in your life, because so many of us have an aversion to the things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, sure. For me, I mean, for me, there was a time where when I was in my younger days, I was quite entrepreneurial and I was building businesses, but only for the primary reason to make money. And the primary reason for making money was to actually impress people around me and my father to a degree. So, but was bringing that back. So what happened is things would fall over or they would fail. And the one that totally shifted my whole awareness around things and to be honest, put me on this path of personal development, put me on the path of learning coaching and everything else was just the one time and I lost an incredible amount of money and a house and a, a girlfriend that I was with that was, the relationship was no good anyway. And everything just went and it went for like a, a six months worth of depression, I guess, for one of another word. And it was, at that time, it felt like there was, there was nowhere to go. There was kind of, it felt like walls are closing in. I was, you know, I'd, I'd lost my home. I was living in this, this like a little one bedroom apartment above a, a fish and chip shop. Yeah, and I'm not sure, I wasn't sure what I, was, what I wanted to do. And then what, a friend of mine who was also a coach and hypnotherapist and among other therapies, I spent some time with him and it soon became apparent. I got some confidence back. It soon became apparent that I was like, I want to do what you do. 
And this is what I mean by finding you can leverage crisis, you know, and those types of, my, nothing had changed in my reality. I was still, still the dude lying on a mattress above a fish and chip shop in poor health, physical health. But I had my laptop. I was listening. I call that, that era <laughs> the University of YouTube. Anything I could get my hands on, you know, you know, the Tony Robbins, Eckhart Tolle's, uh, Deepak Chopra's, anything, all the greats. I was just consuming, consuming, consuming. And from that space, I'd shifted every, everything around. And even then I was, it's funny because you, you create these things and I go, just create this and put it in your mind and it will come. And then slowly but surely that process, things would drop in. I was like, oh, I can't, do, can't afford this course. And then I, I work out I could do it in stage payments. Well, cool, I'm going to go for it then. And I was still, there was still months when I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And then something would happen. And it just kept those little things. And it, for me, that was probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to me, but also it, it was my biggest blessing. And from there, I recognized that crisis and inspiration or the whatever the opposite of crisis is, they actually exist exactly the same time in the same space, two parts of the same whole, if you will. So some of it is down to what you're focusing on and some of it could be just down to just the, the kind of area you're in. Um, or the, the, the sequence in life you're in or the, just the stage of life you're in where you have to kind of go through that. I'm sure you're familiar with the hero's journey, right? There's a, there's a cycle. So sometimes you might just find yourself when you're just, it's the death. <laughs> you know, you're just at that part. But you are, rather than thinking, again, going back to what we said earlier, the boy is thinking, oh, I'm going to die. Actually, the man is like, cool, <laughs> I'm going to die, but I know I'm going to be reborn, you know? Oh, a poet friend of mine says this beautiful word. She said, what's she call it? She says, denial is the death of the butterfly. And I'm like, oh. And then what she means is that, you know, if you deny that time when you're in the chrysalis and it's painful and you're struggling and whatever, then you don't become the butterfly. Even if I think there's research that says you cut it out early to help, help ease it, it won't fly. You know, so you have to have that thing where you, you have that intense pressure and this, for me, then it's just a matter of knowing faith, having a lot of faith in and around that and no, just holding on to that when that stuff's going around you, you know, being kind of, a, you know, trying to be as grounded as possible, be the rock in the storm, as a, friend, a good friend of mine says, you know, because they're going to come. You can't ignore, you can't avoid them. So there's no point trying to d deny them, you know. That's it right there for me. Whenever I get asked the question of what would I tell young folks, what would I tell my younger self, I always come to just just embrace the challenges don't let the challenges break you down let them make you bleed and and roll around writhing on the floor but don't let the challenges destroy you and don't run from them because it's exactly what you build up your edification on it's the foundation is these experiences and and also that they never stop happening I know one of the illusions after I went through some really big challenges and I was like, ah, oh, I made it here. Nice. I made it. I busted through the gauntlet. Like life from here on out, life's going to be great. And then a whack, you know, smack me in the face again. A buddy of mine to put a baseball reference on it. He says it's he's like, you just got to learn to hit the curveballs because it's not if they're coming. It's when. They're going to happen at some point. At some point, it's going to be a health event or it's going to be the loss of a loved one or financial struggles, a bigger reflection of global society that impacts you directly. Whatever it is, it's going to be something. It's coming. So be ready. And when it happens, lean into it. Don't run from it. Don't try to hide from it. That's the most essential thing, right? Because especially with helicopter parenting and wanting our kids to be safe, we end up robbing them of that opportunity to create a relationship with challenge. 
and adversity. Yeah, that's true. They're always inconvenient as well. They come at the most inconvenient times, don't they? <laughs> right, right. Which then if they didn't, we wouldn't we wouldn't sign up for them. If we knew they were coming, we'd still put them off. So yeah. there you go, man. And that's you know that's a whole other conversation. But that's I think that's a big part of what I do also and advocate for is rites of passage because those are especially when they're ceremonial, it's, it's a choice. It's the community recognizing you're ready for something. And then you as a sovereign human being choosing to step across that threshold into discomfort, whether it's going and spending time in solitude, going without a comfort, food, water, shelter, Netflix, <laughs> whatever it is, and putting yourself into that situation saying, this is uncomfortable and tapping into that deeper truth and wisdom that's hiding beneath the veneer. You know, that's, that is the way that we, or one way I should say that we prepare ourselves and the younger generations to encounter the unexpected crises, the unexpected challenges and adversity that come up, you know? So yeah, bro, this is a great conversation. I'm really grateful that we got to dive into it. I love everything that you brought to the table and what you had to say about creating the life that we want. I'm living it right now. So I, it's never been more relevant for me than it is right now. And I still see that there's some tweaks to the design that I can improve upon now that I've got more clarity here. So it never stops. It's constantly moving. Yeah, that's right. Constantly moving, constantly moving. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you some quick lightning style questions and then let you tell people where they can find you and follow you. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So what's one thing you wish you learned back when you were 18? One thing I wish I learned back when I was 18, that's more important that you impress yourself than others. Mm, I like that. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man or as a human, however you like to think about it? Integrity with self and then it expands exponentially anyway. Beautiful. And where should people go to find you, follow you, uh, interact with you? Okay. So yeah, um, Living Full Project is my handle on Instagram, Kevin at livingfullproject.com. Just hit me up. I'm, uh, and same Living Full Projects on Facebook. So yeah, just hit me up. We're more than happy to have a conversation. Take another minute just to talk about the Living Full Project so people know exactly what they're what you're creating over there. Sure. Well, the Living Full Project is um, a lot we've been speaking today really is about creating lives by design and not default is kind of my little my little catchphrase. And it's all around that really. It can be it can be relationships, it can be changing business. I have a lot of people at the moment, especially at this point in time. They're like, they're coming out of the corporate world and like, uh, I've really wanted to do this and I'm not really sure I've got this redundancy package now. And yeah, I think now's the time for me to go for something. The kids are grown up and it's, it's uh, facilitating that and, you know, navigating that minefield as well, you know, um, it just, it, it can be daunting. It can be daunting to try and go after your purpose, right? It's not easy. People think it's, um, <laughs> I'm living this dream and this, you know, but there's, there's a lot of things that you need to A, learn and B, be comfortable with yourself. I think that a journey of purpose is one of, and especially when it's something that you're doing for a business or whatever, you, as a business grows, so do you, you know, and it's essentially just getting you ready for that, that type of thing. Yeah. Tony Robbins once said, business is spiritual. And he said, there's nothing more. He said, business is a spiritual path. And when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, it is. It is. And a lot of times we differentiate. So it's beautiful stuff, man. Thank you for everything you brought here today. Appreciate you. I can see it's getting dark over there. It's getting close to bedtime. <laughs> so appreciate you squeezing us in at the end of your day. And really great to get to know you, man. I really enjoyed this conversation and look forward to catching up with you further down the road.
Thank you, brother. I really appreciate the work you're doing and uh, all the, you know, the, all the content. You, you know, you're an absolute beast and super consistent with your work. And yeah, I'm a big fan. So uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you, brother. We'll catch up soon. All right, fam, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that powerful episode. My brother Kevin joining us from all the way over in England, bringing that powerful, potent medicine to our Rising Man community today. If you guys have not already gotten involved in our Rising Man fire circles, in our Inferno circles, or you haven't come out and joined us for a four-day vision fest with the Compass crew, head over to risingman.org and get yourself signed up today. Find a way to become the biggest, best version of yourself by circling up with other men. That's how we do it. That's at least how we do it here at Rising Man. So check it out. For show notes, links, and resources, you can go to risingman.org and find that there as well. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. And make sure you go to our Instagram and check us out at Rising Man Movement, as well as our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Going to be a lot of new creative video content coming out in the next year. So make sure you get subscribed today so you don't miss that when it drops. Big shout out to my power team, Sean, Rowan, Julian, Ryan, and Mark for always showing up, showing up strong and helping me to carry this message, carry this mission forward. I appreciate you guys and everybody else out there is doing their part, spreading the rising man word, getting more men involved, sharing the podcast, telling your friends to get involved with the fire circles, whatever it is you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause it's working. We're growing. Onward and upward, fam. Let's do it. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.